What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Making the Turn, the premier green industry podcast that highlights professionals across many areas, including golf course management, sports turf, sales, business, education, landscaping, and more. Making the Turn is hosted by me, BJ Parker. I've spent nearly 25 years in the green industry, mostly as a golf course superintendent, and now I want to bring the knowledge and insight from myself and the many people I've met and continue to meet along the way. Making the Turn will provide valuable content for those looking to learn from others, gain useful tips and tricks, and be better in their daily lives. You can find Making the Turn on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please be sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe. It helps keep the podcast growing and getting better. Thanks for listening, and welcome to another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. All right, everybody, welcome into another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. Appreciate you joining me, and we're uh, back at it again with my man, Virgil. How you doing, my man? I'm doing, buddy. Thank you. Uh, I'm doing very well, and thank you for having me on again for our a second part two part two we didn't get enough in the other day so we're gonna do this all over again i love it first of all we got to address this beautiful morning we've got here man no doubt about it uh yeah. well yesterday there wasn't a cloud in the sky i do see a cloud at yep. this particular moment so we yep. did but another wonderfully perfect day it's yep. going to be close to 70 and and moments like we are in um trying to find something to uh cling on to that's good no kidding yeah uh, the good lord has given us a beautiful day so let's go out and enjoy it i i I, uh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we're sitting out here at Harbor Valley Golf Center. Beautiful morning. Um, you know, when this, the the craziness of the world we're in right now, it's uh, got to take this in for a minute. Yeah, no doubt about it. It wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be uh, it'd be hard to describe uh, how we're how everything's going if we couldn't do this. If I was sitting inside cooped up or something. I mean, yeah. I, I feel for the people that are or can't get out or sick or whatever, but. You know, it's a, it's a blessing to be out here and to sit down and chat with you, my man. No doubt. Well, I'm looking forward to the second half of this because I have a lot of things I wanted to to bounce off you as we talk about golf course architecture. Yep. Uh, the state of the game as it pertains to is it the golf club, golf ball, is it the agronomy, is it architecture, is it weather-related, all the things that need to be taken into consideration as we're – as the USGA and the RNA and the PGA and yep. PGA of America are discussing, we're going to roll the ball back. We're going to do something with the clubs. What are we going to do? So, I can't wait to pick your brain on all that stuff. Well, let's start there. Let's let's get in it. Let's get into it. I mean, we we kind of had a we got a our uh, the part one was kind of just chatting and talking, but let's yeah. uh, let's talk some shop and get into it a little bit. So, to me, I'm I'm a big believer that we don't need eight thousand yard golf courses. 7,700 yard golf courses to test the players, but we, what we do need is a lot of what Augusta National. Not that, not that it has to be perfectly maintained like Augusta National, but one of the things that makes Augusta National so phenomenal is the fact that it's a constant double whammy lie angle because there's only 18 flat shots all day yeah. at Augusta. It's your tee shots. Other than that, you get this wide variety of ball above your feet, which would be a draw inducing shot right with a downhill lie which is a fade push you know so you got the possibilities of a pull yep. draw you got the possibilities of a of a a ball that starts left and doesn't come back but you also have the possibility of a heel cut yep and that's what makes it in my opinion why the masters always seems to rise above everybody else yeah is because 
it takes geometry into play. And then when you get these short irons, and obviously for those of you out there that play the game, a pitching wedge off of an uphill or a side hill lie really curves. Yeah. Really curves. And I'm just of the belief that if we did more things to factor in slope yeah. on the on the playing to, like the playing part of the hole. Right. That we don't need 562-yard par fours to challenge the tour player. If we dogleg holes, if we at that dogleg start to introduce slope both in downhill, uphill, and side hill. Right. I'm here to tell you because I'm I'm not a tour player, but I'm a, I'm a plus two, so I can still get it around. Yeah. I would much rather play four iron off of a flat lie than an eight iron with the ball about five inches below my feet yeah. and going uphill or downhill. Yeah. That is so challenging. And we constantly hear this talk about rolling the ball back, doing something with the driver, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, in the turf world, there's this weird place between how much it costs to maintain a golf course at 8,000 yards. What do we got to do to create that course condition to create the optimum playing yeah. situation. How do you sense the golf course architecture, maintenance, and upkeep plays a role in the numbers that we're seeing as it pertains to the driver yardage from, you know, 1990, I would say 99, because that's when we <clears> went, <throat> you know, that's when everybody yeah. was playing the ballada or the title is professional right. to that big that big tsunami that wiped out all the balata trees in Japan <laughs> yeah. and everything went to urethane and all of a sudden these balls started being that the greatest mix of top flight off the tee and <laughs> balata into the green. Right. Talk to us a little bit about how you sense that's that that the agronomy plays a role in the difficulty. Well, <clears throat> I I'll say this: um, there's a couple of different thing uh, thoughts I have. One is is the greatest players in the world are vastly different than what I feel like the everyday average Joe uh, person we need to be uh, building or developing the golf course for. Mm -hmm. So can we have like these so quote unquote like stadium courses where they only go and play and we maintain those at a completely different style and grace and whatever, mm -hmm. because they, you just, you know, you don't have to challenge them with 8,000 yard golf courses. Like you said, I, I firmly believe that the, that in, it's hard to describe how Augusta is unless you've ever been there or yeah. seen it on, because TV doesn't do it justice. That's right. And you're you're you've played it. I have never. I haven't had the fortune, but I've been there a bunch of times. And and the and it's just a challenge of golf beyond belief. Yes. And that's what makes it what it is. Um, so, I feel like they and they don't do anything. The agronomy there is pretty simple. No rough. It's. You know, everything is kind of, I mean, they've got some rough, but yeah, it's but not, it's minimal. it's minimal. It's not like what you would see, uh, three-inch Bermuda or something. Yeah. And uh, and so they, and the way that course challenges them, it's obviously longer yeah. now, but, but the way it challenges is all the slopes and angles and the greens and yeah. how, they, how they do things. And, again, I mean, from year to year, I mean, the winners in the, in the over double digits, you know, a lot of times. Yeah, usually 12 yeah. is the number. Yeah. And occasionally we get a, a, a record-breaking yeah. moment from Tiger or Rory. He hasn't won one yet, but, I mean, yeah. at, at one point with nine holes left, it looks like he was going to boat race the world right? Uh, until an epic collapse. But it very rarely does it get above 12, but yeah. very rarely does it dip below six. Right. 
you know. So it just stays; it holds court for a long time. Yeah. So, so their 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 pace of their greens is pretty consistent from year to year. They, you know, they have just incredible slopes. So, if you were looking at like the perfect test tube sort of bubble, mm-hmm. that's where agronomy and golf sort of collide and yeah. it's the best of both worlds for the for the, the the best players in the world yeah and you know but for your average course around here as a country club or whatever i mean you know you have so many different playing levels that you have to accommodate accommodate for, for. Mm-hmm. and that's what that's where it become be, being a superintendent and being challenged with the difficulty of having a greens chairman who's you know a a, a single digit ha- handicap who's the really the uh in terms of the club, he's 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 the lower end of your your uh, clientele. I mean, he's right. he's not he's not the norm. He's That's the exception. Right. That's right. You've got these eighteen handicappers <laughs> and people that you're trying to um, get your golf course ready for. So you have it's a it's a balancing act, it's a juggle. So to answer your question, you gotta you gotta have your green speeds kind of fair for everybody. You've got to have your uh, your roughs, you know, challenging for some, but. They got to be able to find their ball. You got to, you know, all those yeah. things factor into to how uh, agronomy and golf course uh, setup comes into play, and it's a balance depending on your, who you're actually, you know, wanting to serve your customers for. Sure, talk to me a little bit about the importance of fairway height and firmness versus wetness uh, as it pertains to the the playability and and greatness of a golf course. I'm, I'm so I hit the ball really long. So I'm gonna hit it like 322 right now, right? Uh, in basically, you know, normal conditions. But I've played a PGA Tour golf course immediately after the event now five times, and I'm I've been in like 355, right? When I'm playing that golf course, I've played Kapalua twice yeah. right after the event. I played uh, Callaway Gardens when they used to have the Buick Southern Open. Yep. I used to work there when we had it, and. That was very like I was like, man, this is a totally different golf course. And right. I'm hitting two, two and a half, three clubs less just because of the firmness. What would be the negatives of the grass being a touch higher to reduce the rollout? Does that really take away from the the experience of a tour player's enjoyment of a golf course? Well, I don't. I don't know. I would have to, you know, get in the mind of a tour player. But I will say this: that if you want to challenge someone um, to the highest that the golf course can, t- you know, the teeth of it, reducing the water and, and creating a, a level of firmness that the ball's running all over the place uh-huh. is the easy, is the best way to do it. It's not with rough heights and things like that, and and soft conditions. I mean, they're going to eat that up regardless. Yeah. But if you can hit a ball where it's going further than they actually think it's going to be or something bring something into play that they would normally not get to yeah. or the ball doesn't stop on the greens or if they miss it on the one side or another and the and the greens are you know firmer uh, that's the way to challenge them and 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 in and there's a delicate balancing in that to how that affects the turf grass yeah you know the grass you know warm season grasses bermuda zoysias and things like that can handle that level of water management down to you know some pretty extreme levels and you can create some pretty cool things doing that, and then you can bring them back pretty quickly. Yeah. If you're dealing with bent grass or something like that, depending on the time of the year, you mean 
you, you've seen it. You've got to you've got to ha- sort of handle that a little yeah. bit. You can lose the greens really quickly if you let them dry out. So um, it just depends on um, a lot of factors. But I I love I love the idea of playability coming into how you manage the water, and that was always something that I tried to uh, look at from the standpoint of how how playable do I want my course to be? I want I want someone to hit it and get it out there where it's a little bit further than they would think. But not so far that they're getting them themselves into like just these uncomfortable situations or or really mm-hmm. unfair conditions. So. Yeah, I think I mean, so. Uh, give me your your take on this. So like a golf course that would be lush beyond belief, like Muirfield Village. Yeah, where Jack's place is, where he had the memorial, and you counter that with Pinehurst Number Two, which is a firm, fast. Yeah, uh, it's designed to be firm and fast, and I wouldn't. I don't necessarily think that. Muirfield's not right, but the soil conditions are very different in Dublin, Ohio, versus yeah. you know the sand part of of Pinehurst and and North Carolina. <clears throat> Each one has to be handled slightly different. That's another sure. thing that most people don't understand is like, well, why don't they just do it all everywhere? Well, you can't really do things mm-hmm. everywhere. You can't do what Pinehurst does no. at Muirfield Village and vice versa. Right. What um, I think variety is key. And this is what makes, to me, one of the things I get it, I get involved in these conversations all the time because they people ask me about my opinion on do we need to roll the ball back or what we need to do for the golf course. <clears throat> I think people forget that, they're, that, first of all, PGA Tour golf is entertainment, too. Yeah. Yeah. You could argue that it's more entertainment than ever yeah. right now. And people like that are going to spend that kind of money to sponsor events and bring people in. The mood of an event, minus a U.S. Open probably, right, is create birdies, create that excitement of people doing great things. And then there's that bizarre purist that loves to watch them struggle and, you know, shoot even par is a good score. Right. We don't need all of the same all of the time. I agree, totally agree. And I think that, to me, I, I don't necessarily believe... Like, here's where it gets to be challenging. The golf courses that have the infrastructure to host PGA Tour events aren't necessarily the greatest golf courses in the world Mm -hmm. because the greatest golf courses in the world generally were designed in the 1910, 20, 30s, most, not all. Um, And then now there's a new wave of designers that are doing a great job as well, but they can't host amazing events without massive struggle, like Marion. Cypress Point, obviously, has stepped out of the rotation. Uh, but you can't hold an event at Royal Melbourne every week, and you can't hold an event at Augusta right. National every week. Right. And there's this back and forth between birdie fests and challenge. And I think that that's good, but people are constantly complaining and whining about the, the best players hitting it. Like, there's too many people hitting it 345 and hitting wedges onto the green. But would you never hear that complaint when they're playing Colonial and Hilton Head? Right. You know, so I just wish people would take a step back and remember, you know, those events oftentimes produce the greatest results too. Sure. But I, I just, I just wish people would take more and more of those things into consideration. Another question I had for you, as it pertains to grass and being in the South, maybe twelve years ago was when the, the Bermuda grass, the dwarf grasses that made Bermuda grass go from 
significantly less quality than bent to, in my opinion, better than bent in a kind of a blur. It just went like from like, yeah. oh God, Bermuda to like, oh yes, yeah. Bermuda. You were, I think you were actually at the golf course that transitioned first to Bermuda grass. If you weren't, you were second behind Stone Drum, but I think it was pretty close between you two. It, it was. Uh, talk to us about what you went through going from bent to Bermuda, how different it is, and how, which one do you think is better for the South? Well, I get this question a lot. I, um, first, I, I didn't, I wasn't at Brentwood when they transitioned. So I came in the year after. Oh, okay. So I, I wasn't part of that decision making process, but they, they took a very, um, you know, they, they stepped out on a limb. Nobody had done it. Uh, Memphis Country Club was, you know, the very That's first right. one. That's right. And, and they kind of, uh, I, I say the very first one. They, 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 uh, around in our area, they they had installed Champion mm-hmm. several years earlier, and Brent, Brentwood Country Club was facing a greens conversion. Their bent was old, and and they were looking at something new. So they decided let's let's check this out, and so they did, and they transitioned over. And I had came from the Golf Club of Tennessee, uh, which was bent, uh-huh. and came over to Brentwood, and so it was it, it's kind of like I went from one one extreme to the other. I mean, we were maintaining Ben at a pretty high level and I get over here and I've never really had any experience with Bermuda outside of, you know, fairways and tees sure. and stuff. So, um, it's, it was, it, the, 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 it's, I say this and I don't mean this just in general terms or to be vague about it, but it, grass is grass. I mean, yeah. you do things to it to make it exceptional <clears throat> depending on where you're growing it and, and what it's used for. And so, I took principles of what I was learning on bent grass and applied them to the greens in, in Bermuda. And I said, what am I trying to accomplish? The best, the, the first goal is, is I want these greens to be the best they can be. And from a playability standpoint, yeah. as good as they possibly can be. If I start with that premise and that goal, how do I get there? And so I, I learned a lot. I, re- I, I, I tried different things, but ultimately after a series of, you know, uh, you know, just, trial and error and doing different things uh-huh. and nobody else really doing it. I didn't really sure. have anybody to call, sure. you know? And so we just, we, we started, we started clicking it away and we started getting better and better and better. And we found, we started, we landed on a pretty, pretty consistent thing. And, and after I got to where I was messing with them and dealing with them, I got to a point in my career and how I felt that I said, okay, as good as these are, are they as good as bent when bent's as good as it is? And for me, I, I think if I'm being honest, bent grass, if you're talking about the best of both, I think bent is still better. Really? But from a playability standpoint and mm. putting and, and some of the different things. But I will say this. There are some really good guys with Bermuda greens and I felt like ours was just as good Absolutely. as any bent you could find at any time of the year and pretty much for the most of the year it's as good or, or if not better and you can find a lot of people and I only say that bent's better it's because I've played some really good bent grass courses and I mean it's just hard it, that ball roll and some of the things you can get with it um, it really is fantastic but I think side by side, best of best, it'd be tough. It'd be tough to say which is better. There's really no <laughs> negative to the. And for our area, yeah. if I'm building, if you ask me, you're building a golf course. Me and you're going to build a golf course right now. Yeah. What are you putting in? 100% Bermuda, without a shadow. Wall to wall. Well, on the greens. On the I greens. Mean, I, we're doing zoysia on yeah. a lot of other places. But, yeah. But if we're just specifically talking about greens, 
We're going to do uh, Bermuda. Uh, Ultra Dwarf, yeah. Ultra Dwarf, yeah. Because I'm fascinated by a couple of things. And, and we're in a transition zone, so we can do both. Yep. Is the fact that the ball marking on bent grass greens, especially in the summertime with how wet it has to end up being, yep. it doesn't, that's a, that's a negative for yep. bent. Uh, and it generally, because you have to keep it wetter, mm-hmm. it gets marked up, footprint spike mark yeah. problems become more prevalent and it's been so long since i've played really good bent grass greens yeah i mean i obviously like in the summertime sure you know you've you've I've played well you golf. want around here i mean yeah. i'm just if you i mean let's just face it in our area the summer's the difficulty yeah i mean it gets hot here i yeah. mean it gets to the point and it can be hot for a long period of time and that's just not fun for bermuda i mean for ben, ben yeah. um you know or maybe and I don't want to call anybody out, but two that come to mind are Golf Club of Tennessee and Bellmead. Yeah. They both have bent. They both do a really good job. But in the summertime, it's still a struggle. And they have all the manpower and money you can want. I yeah. mean, they would say they need more. Yeah. But, you know, that's just that. – so, but so Bermuda here, and because we have the mass amount of play in our summer, Yeah. and, and you, you couple that with the, the heat, the traffic, and all that, Bermuda makes a far superior putting surface in the summer. And that's when you have the majority of your play and to go back to, you know, that's what we have to look at as if we were a golf course owner is how, where do I want to, I don't want to reduce my, my, my money or I don't want to have my greens die or I don't want to have things. So I want to protect my investment. Yeah. So I'm going to put in a better option for me. And, and to be honest, we don't have that much of severe winters that the covering becomes an issue and they, and they roll pretty darn good in the winter too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, especially if people are painting them and doing. You know, not many people overseed. Uh, it's just a difficulty, and it's not wise. But you can. But yeah. most people paint them, and you don't know the difference. I yeah. mean, they they they're they're perfect. When did the overseeding piece disappear? Because that was at Hermitage Golf Course. Yeah. Uh, from '99 to '03, and you know we had the Sarah Lee Classic there, and it was always overseeded, and yeah. it was lush and beautiful, and then. What? I think it was my last year there. Eller just stopped overseeding. Yeah. What's the problem with overseeding? Why isn't it done anymore? What's the practice? Why is the practice no longer happening? I'm fascinated by that. Well, it it, I, it could be for a variety of reasons. One, uh, from an agronomic standpoint, it is detrimental to the Bermuda or, or the base, whatever you're – typically it's overseeded Bermuda. Yeah. But, I mean, it's detrimental over a uh, year after year of doing that because ryegrasses have gotten better. Um, you know, they, they, the, the springtime for Bermuda transition is the harshest part of the year for Bermuda. Uh-huh. And if it's, if it's competing with the ryegrass that's growing, then, uh, you have a, you have a weakened base and year after year that happens. And so, uh, you, it becomes a financial decision at that point as to whether you're replacing turf or doing things like that. Now they've come up with chemicals that, that help with that transition and you can take the ryegrass out really quick uh-huh. and that helps with that transition as long as you know what you're doing and you time that where you, you don't go from a really great looking golf course to ugly yeah. and then have to catch back up sure so there's a there's a lot to it i would say the agronomics was probably the main reason but finances i mean it just gets expensive yeah. and and when you're thinking well is it really am i really what's my clientele what am i trying to bring in um you know uh you you can look at it from a lot of different varieties but 
there's not many people that do it. And and paintings become more of a big thing, painting fairways yeah. and, and things like that. And that's less cost and it's not, there's no downside to agronomically. It's it's no issue. It, it actually probably adds a, a benefit Interesting. more so than anything. So, um, you know, we, we, we overseeded the tea out here and that's, you know, because of the owner wanting some Green grass. Green grass to yeah. hit off of. And that's his, you know, it's the, it's the main focus of the business here. But, I mean, if you find a course that's doing ryegrass, I think uh, Old Natchez is one of the few that are still doing it. And they, uh-huh. there may be some others. Uh, I think Bell Mead does some teas and things like that. But most people are just spot doing them, not wall-to-wall or doing uh, anything. And, sure. and, it's, uh, and it's just a preference now more than anything. And to answer your question, it's, more, it's probably more about how it was costing them in the long run from an agronomic standpoint, because if you want to take, you know, just the cost of it over time, mowing equipment during the winter, lots of different variables added up and said, you know, this is probably not worth it. Let's, uh, and, and we're beating our base up. Yeah. Cause you know, I don't know if you've ever been to Augusta is a, a Bermuda based golf course, yeah. but it, they don't play golf there in the summer. That's right. And there's a reason yeah. because it's just beat to hell and back. And, yeah. and it's because of all the, you know, and they don't have, it's not traffic. It's not even that. It's just the fact they, they do a thousand pounds or more per, you know, per acre of ryegrass seed, mm-hmm. which is about a three or four or five X rate. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's up there. So interesting. Well, I want to get into Augusta National, but I want to ask this question too, because this is another thing that I get asked a lot. I'm involved in these conversations a lot. I think it's interesting to me. The playability of Zoysia versus Bermuda in the fairway and the effects of the mower blade on Zoysia versus Bermuda and the maintenance practice that keeps it sharp and going – what if uh, so? If you were, we, we just you said we went Bermuda greens. Would you want Zoysia fairways? Absolutely. And why? Well, it's just a better playing surface. I I think. You I mean, do? I think Bermuda is. There's a lot of really cool, good new Bermudas out there. Four nineteen is the old standard. Yeah. You know, uh, it's good. It 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 it's uh, it's been around for a long time. But there's some cool new Bermudas and things. But the the idea that Zoysia provides the, a better playing surface for our area is, is I mean, it, it's just, in my opinion, it's it's tough to replicate with Bermuda, and there and there's the finer bladed Zoysias now, mm-hmm. the Zeon, which is out at the Troubadour, and they've got you know they've got Zorro, they got all these different ones that you can think you know talk about, but. Um, the old Meyer that was the like the old gold standard. Yeah. I wouldn't really say that I would prefer that over Bermuda. It's the one that's out at you know they put it the legend that that was the one they put everywhere. Yeah, people were the Meyer and it's a it's a more thick bladed zoysia. It uh, got really susceptible to disease and they all do at oh, some point. Yeah. But uh, you know they the Bermuda grass encroachment was bad in them, mm-hmm. and so uh, you see in courses sort of transition out of that or just live with it. I mean, Golf Club of Tennessee does a great job with their Meyer zoysia, but they've put Zorro and a bunch of different you know around the greens and made it firmer and faster, so they have a different variety. Oh, and so the the variety of zoysias make it where, from a playability standpoint, you just you can um, you can just do things better. The ball is. Uh, rolls better it's it's just got more leaf blade mm-hmm. just a it's just a in my opinion a more superior I, if like i said if we were building a golf course i would do that would be my grass choice for for the fairways and the tees now uh-huh. i do bermuda in the rough yeah i don't i just don't think you would want to do zoysia in the rough yeah i don't think so either 
I think it's interesting. The PGA Tour shies away from going to golf courses that have Zoysia fairways because it tees the ball up so nice. Yeah. Um, the, I, I think, think, that's, I that's, think uh, that's East Lake uh, trend is all Zoysia now. Or the fairways. Yeah, 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 that's right. They they shy away from, but I think it's just the old the old Meyer mindset yeah. versus the newer yeah. the newer blade of grass. Because I I would tell you that if we were doing it together, we're on the same page. Yeah, I'd want Zoysia that that new, z, z, you know, was it Zion? Is that what you said? Zion, yeah, Zion, yeah. yeah. I would want that as my fairway. Yep. I'd want Champion over Verde or Mini Verde yep. in in my greens. And I think that you're you're right. I think that the Bermuda rough is better for us to play out of in our massive playing months, which would be yep. April to Thanksgiving. Sure. Uh, and I, I agree. Uh, well, the, I think one of the things that people are most interested in, so I'm very interested in this, is for, you know, I'll, I'll probably only have one one of these in my life, at least I hope <laughs> so, which the Masters is going to be played on my birthday this year, November 13th. We're going, man. Uh, and I, I'm going to be there. You can bank <laughs> on it. Yeah. Um, you but never thought you'd say that, by I the way. I never, never thought that I'd say that. And I, hopefully I don't ever have to say it again, right. although it's a really awesome yeah. treat for, yeah. for me. Uh, the, the golf course in November versus the golf course in April, it'll obviously be the same grass, and they're going to have it perfect, but it's going to be a very different looking. Yeah, the zayas won't uh, be doing yeah, it. Yeah, it won't be very colorful as in uh, the flowers and yeah. because it's mostly pines, there won't be any change of colors in the trees right. either that much anyway. How do you expect the golf course to play because it's going to be played literally seven months later than it should have been on the other side of the calendar? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know this to be a fact, but I would assume that the the weather in November and the weather in April in Augusta, Georgia is pretty similar. I would imagine outside of the fact the days are getting shorter yeah. and some of the growing conditions are changing versus, you know, the ryegrass is, is going to be fine. The golf course will probably look the, exactly the same, except minus what we've talked about with Zay and some yeah. of the color and things. Yeah. So I would, I would think that the playability of the course will be relatively the same. Um, it, I can't imagine that they wouldn't want to try to replicate it as close as they possibly can. I don't foresee any challenges. Yeah. Um, Daylight at that time down there is probably going to be about the same fine-wise. So, I mean, I really don't think – I don't think outside of some weird weather, I I think it'll be about the same. I mean, that's my guess. Mm -hmm. If I look at their weather pattern and and you ask me that or we get back and, you know, chat about it some more later down the road and I find out that, well, it's a – you know, weather's slightly different there – then they may have a different opinion. Yeah, I don't think it is. Well, like so, I, the only time that I played it, it was November fifth and sixth, two thousand five. Yeah. Okay, so I've played it. It was basically the week before. And what is what happens at that time of year is the radical change between north wind and south wind. You know, like so. The well, I went down there, and obviously that that could be a huge difference. That's a huge difference. So I played yeah. the first day in a south wind, which is the customary. Coming out of the coming out of the Gulf of Mexico, so it's coming from the southwest. Right. Um, so the par fives are reachable in two for somebody who hits as long as I do, and you know then the, the short par fours are a little sterner. Yeah. You know, and the it's designed that way. Right. 
So we play it. I shoot 76. I birdie all the par fives, double bogey one, 14, and 17, both times I play it. And I'm like, ah. I wake up the next morning. I didn't realize a thunderstorm had blown in. And I'm telling you, it went from 82 and sunny to the next day we teed off. It was 49 when we teed off in the morning. Yeah. And the wind was blowing pretty stiff out of the north. I literally had no chance of reaching any par five except 13. And when you think about the North Wind Masters, you end up finding Mike Weir, yeah. Zach Johnson, Trevor Immelman <laughs> as your winners. Right. Because now the advantage goes away from the guys who can bomb the par fives. Yep. To not even they can get to they can most of them be able to get to fifteen. I didn't hit a good drive on fifteen, yeah. But <clears throat> I hit it behind those trees on the left. Um, but you can't get to eight into that wind. Forget that. And yeah. number two, you got a crosswind, a strong crosswind tee shot, and that one could be down a touch mm-hmm. in your second shot, but mostly cross. Um. That's the thing that, that I'm most interested in is because the North Wind brings more players into oh, the, sure. the event. Yeah. And I think we're going to get a mix match. That's the thing I love about this possibility yeah. is I think we might see two or three days of one and one day or two days of another. And I think that that's going to – It's every once in a while it's going to make the fans, the ardent fans of golf, wish for a, every 10th year – November Masters because it will bring a different element to the green jacket and I think that that's good for the game oh I I do too I'm 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 curious because you've played it what are your thoughts when you stand on number 12 T you have you've probably hit it off that to you go walk through me through hitting that shot so I've played it on the two polar opposites right so i yeah. played it into a north wind and a south wind then i played it front left and back right now for most people that don't know this it's probably eight full strides in the middle of the green from one end of the green to the other it is spectacularly narrow yeah it's wide and narrow or shallow sure. you know, shallow is actually the better word so the first time i played it the pin was on the front left it was 141 and it was not blowing that much, maybe maybe eight miles per hour. Yeah. And I hit an, an, a three-quarter eight iron to like 20 feet and two-putted for par. So then the storm blows in. The second time I get down there, the wind's blowing about 25. <laughs> and it's out of the north. Same so pin location? It was back right this time. Oh, okay. So lefties have an advantage on the critical holes at Augusta National because – for me, my error, if I'm trying to draw it, will be an overdraw, which makes the ball fly slightly longer right. and righter. So being left-handed, that makes my miss hit go off the green or stay on the back right of the green. And if I have a healer kind of get out in front of one and leave it out short left, that yeah. also benefits my shot on a left pin because the, the, the race creek doesn't go completely horizontal to the hole. It's angled slightly, almost 8 o'clock to 2 o'clock yeah. if you're looking at the hole. So in Hogan's book that Kurt Sampson wrote called Hogan, he talked about when you were on that tee and the wind was down off your back, it was actually into the wind up by the green and vice versa. Yeah. So the, it's 156 to the back right, and I got six iron. I hit six iron 202, 
okay? <laughs> the wind is howling over my back, like going straight downwind. And the caddy's like, it's, this is definitely into the wind. And I'm, and I'm buying into it because right. I read it in <clears throat> Hogan's book. And, <clears throat> well, I mean, he was one of the five greatest of all time, in my opinion. <clears throat> so I hit this six iron, <clears throat> absolutely flush. It goes out about 100 yards, and it looks like it hits a curtain, goes sh- straight up into the air, and falls literally into the middle of Race Creek. <laughs> and and my, the, the, my host was just laughing. So I choose to drop again from there. I don't want to hit that. I don't want to hit that pitch shot from over there into right. that little green. So I hit six iron again. I don't hit it as good, and I hit it over the green up into the pine straw. <clears throat> Think about that. <laughs> That's crazy. So the shot ended up about thirty-eight yards different, except the one that I hit pure ended up shortening the water, and the one that I hit still you know, good, but I mean not great, goes over the green into the pine straw. Yeah. I made that was an that was probably my best double bogey of my event. There it wasn't an event; I was just playing twice. But I mean, it's so hard. So when you when you look back at the events of last year's Masters with Tiger winning and Kepka, Molinari, and Finau all rinsing their ball, now Molinari didn't hit a good shot. Okay, no. so he didn't hit a good shot. But Kepka and Finau got the Virgil effect. They hit good shots posing. And it hits the bank and rolls back into the water. Yeah. I almost, Finos almost didn't even carry the water. And then Tiger got the benefit of one pulling his shot, flighting it down, but he came kind of have a come over pull while he maybe he's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna hedge my bet on a come over pull, but if I absolutely come over it and do it right, I'm gonna hit this thing super tight and it's gonna be a tap in birdie. Yeah. He came. It was a come over pull. Hits it to thirty five feet, two putts, and he. Had, that was the turning point of the tournament. He made a five footer though for Paul. No, he didn't hit a good first putt at no. all. And I think that he was two down going into that hole. I know and he it. comes out. Uh, you know, he plays there and comes out one ahead, ties the lead, oh, and one right. ahead on thirteen. Thirteen. That's right. Yep. I, I find it that. Um, Outside of maybe hole six at Pebble Beach in a pretty good blustering wind, yeah, twelve is the one of the scariest holes because it's sitting right there. It's not very long. It's obviously it's shallow because there's you have to have your yardage right. And that's what makes Augusta National so profound. But I got a chance to experience the pain, and I'm glad that I did. I wanted to experience that. Yeah, it's like going to Bally Bunyan and not playing any wind. That's terrible. Sure, I really could not believe how much it affected it. And I think that that's the beauty of the tournament. There's a shade of luck involved. Yeah. Obviously, a ton of skill. I'm not discounting Tiger's shot of skill because it was skill, but I really well, think Kepka and Fina both hit good shots and just got. He's had a ton of experience there, and, and you're right. You don't know what he's really going through his head, but he knows he's calculated everything, and he's like, if I do this, this is where it's going to end up. Yeah. And, and, and that's the worst that I'm going to do. If I hit it pure, I'm tapping it in, yeah. or I'm going to have a chance at birdie. And, you know, it's his experience that he's got. I just can't imagine, you know, they say that the, the tournament starts on the back nine on that week, you know, yeah. and it's on Sunday. But, you know, 10, 10 and 11 can, you know, they're just kind of there and you got to get through them. And then you stand on 12. I could imagine, <laughs> like, if I was there, what, what I would be saying to myself is just like, 
just hit the green, play for the middle, no matter where the pin is. I don't know what you – Yeah, you take it over the bunker, yeah. and you just kind of let the golf gods do with what they want. You, yeah. you know, I just got on the wrong side of one, one yeah. gust of wind. But, you know, I try to tell people all the time, it's the hardest golf course in the world, and it isn't even close. And I have play, hardest, fairest golf course yeah. in the world. I've never felt more confident in my decision to not try to play the game as a professional – than I did there. <laughs> Humbling, huh? Yes, because I shot 76-76, and I made, in 36 holes, I made 11 birdies. Yeah. And I also made eight doubles. I didn't make that many pars. It was really strange. Yeah. Because it was, it's a risk-reward golf course. But I'm here to tell you, it, it, the second shot on 10 is the most slope-related shot I have ever hit. In yep. my life. So I'm being left-handed. My first shot I played was the, probably one of the greatest drives I've ever hit. I've never been one to fade the golf ball really well. Yeah. But I did hit a magnificent slinging fade. And I hit it like 365. Almost down to the flat, but I wasn't quite in the flat. Down by that bunker right. that you see that nobody ever gets into. Yeah. And the ball was at least eight inches below my feet. And I'm on a severe downhill lie. I mean, super, <laughs> super. And I'm actually having to, like, you're the only person that can see this, but having to look up at the strangest angle yeah. because I'm so downhill and I have to cock my head in a way that is so challenging to see the hole. And I hit a nine iron that started in that right bunker and just sling faded. <laughs> Not because I tried to fade it. It's right. that radical of a lie angle. Yeah to like five feet and I made birdie. I'm like, that's the greatest birdie I've ever made. And then I literally hit from 517. I think it's six yards short. And I was 517 when I played 11. I hit driver, all of my driver, and hit two iron and rinsed it both times. Driver, two iron. Jeez. That's how different it plays in the in the winter. winter. Yeah. I hit two Late iron. Fall. Yeah, I hit two iron in the water both times, dropped, made yeah. double there both times. But 13... You know, this is going to be interesting. You know, I remember when I stood there on 2005, I got up onto that tee box, and I'm like, those trees are so carryable, it's not even funny on the left. So I get up there, and my, the caddy's handing me my three ones. I give him my driver. He goes, no, you can't hit driver here. I'm like, oh, yeah, yes, I can. And I'm going to hit it over the trees. And the member that was with and the other people that were there, they're like, dude, nobody hits it over those trees. I'm like, I'm telling you, you can hit it over those trees. Both days, downwind and into the wind, I hit driver over the trees like nothing. And I'm walking with the caddies. I'm like, I can't understand why Tiger Duval at that time or, uh, you know, all the bombers, DJ, Kepika wasn't involved in it, neither was McElroy at that particular point. But why aren't they doing this? And, of course, Bubba Watson didn't hit lob wedge or sand yeah. wedge into there. And Angel Cabrera started to do it. And then DJ started to do it. Yeah. Now you're going to start to see. I saw some satellite images back in January from Scott Fawcett and Lou Stagner. They were they Google Earth down on top of it, and they got the T way back. Yeah. So that they can't do that anymore. Now, you want to talk about changing the complexion of that hole. I hit eight iron both days into there. And... And I know that Rory does and, and DJ does, but, man, you move that tee box back into the middle of, I think it's the sixth fairway of Augusta Country Club. Yeah. And now you got to hit it 300 to the corner. 
nobody there. And I'm telling you, that lie from back there. Yeah. If you remember correctly, when Faldo beat Norman in 96, how much that ball was above his feet with that two iron he yeah. hit in there. That's one of the greatest shots I've ever seen hit, too, was Faldo's two iron off that lie because he even cut it in there a shade. Yeah. That was incredible. But Pete's don't understand how hard that golf course is. Yeah. One shot after the other, and you're always flip-flopping downhill below your feet, downhill above your feet, uphill below. Uh, it's yeah. like a, it's it, relentless. It's relentless. Yeah. And, like, you're doing math in your head, like, okay, how am I swinging today? And am I more apt to push block this ball above my feet yep. or am I apt to hook it off this lie yeah you know so you think about two people in the last 15 years that have donated their green jacket to the 13th holes race creek snedeker's rinsed off his ball a bunch there with that hanging lie and duvall lost at least two masters with that hanging lie iron shot that he, that he hangs out to the right expecting it to turn over right and it doesn't turn over you factor that in, like that golf hole is like you don't even see that plate of the three shot hole much anymore, because almost everybody can get there. Yep. But you throw in a north wind, and you throw in the tee box, supposedly being back that far back. Right. But I don't even want to think about that because that that a wedge shot is no bargain mm -mm. over there, man. That is a really really hard shot, and most people don't recognize because you can't imagine it until you see it how small the greens are there. They look gigantic right. on TV, much like Pebble Beach. Pebble Beach is smaller than Augusta National, but both green complexes are nowhere near as big as I thought when I, when I went there. And yeah. I would say that every level that I got closer to the hole, the more shocking it was. Yeah. So I, my first three times I was there as a spectator. And then I was there in 04 coaching Brandt. So then I, I didn't play it, but I was walking the golf course. Right. And I was like, Wow. On the golf course, the slope here is noticeably <laughs> different. Yep. And the greens were noticeably smaller. And then you factor in, you play it a year later, and you're like, wow. Like, getting your feet set on the eighth green. And I had I played it the first day. The pin was in the very front. Mm. And I hit three wood into the middle back. And... The caddy's like, now, in the tournament, this putt runs about 27 on the stem. <laughs> so we're, we're not, it's not, I mean, the greens were probably nine and a half, ten when I played it. He goes, this will be the, fa this is the fastest putt on the golf course. And they're going to work that fast. And I'm like, at the beginning of my day at, at Augusta, I was, I listened to the caddies early and it didn't work out for me. So I get up over this putt and he's like, this is super fast. This is probably 20 on the stem. I feel like you're going to leave it halfway. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. All right. I hit what I thought was a great putt, and it went like 14 feet past the hole, almost to the fringe. And I made it coming back. Thank God. All right. I've been really hacked. Yeah. But I'm like, I hit that putt, and I'm like, I didn't even get it there. And it just <laughs> kept going and going and going. And that's the, the thing that I always try to pass on to people, yeah. whether it's in, in person or on my radio shows. Like, you just can't believe how small they are. Yeah. You can't believe how much undulation there is on such a small amount of surface. And once again, it demonstrates why it is the ultimate of tournaments because it ta there is no part of your game that's exempt from the pain. No. Your short game will be taxed. Your putting's going to be taxed. Your tee shots, you have to curve 
six to the left and five to the right. There's no like it always produces the greatest champion because it exactly taxes every single thing in your game. Yeah. And that's what makes that's what makes, in my opinion, Alistair McKenzie the greatest designer of all time. Yeah. I, I mean What do you what do you, who do you like of the great triumvirate in the past? And obviously you could throw Seth Rayner in there too. So let's throw and see being that's big five. Rayner, McDonald, Tillinghast, Ross, and McKenzie. Talk to me about those guys, because each of them have a different style. Yeah. But I'm a big McKenzie fan, but I like Tillinghast too. Donald Ross doesn't design golf courses for me, but he's spectacular. What's your what's your feelings on those great architects? Well, without a shadow of a doubt, Donald Ross is my favorite. Really? Yeah. And and I'll and for a variety of reasons, but one being is because I love the way he structures his golf courses. It's all about it's it's not about length, most likely. It's about uh, messing with your vision, messing with your vision, messing with how you, how he sets the golf course up, the angles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I, and a perfect example of this was, um, I can almost tell you that I've stepped on a Donald Ross course before. You tell me it's a Donald Ross golf course because huh. it doesn't take much for me to pick it out. And we were, and I was over. My parents had lived, moved to North Carolina, and so we went to Raleigh Country Club, which is just a. I mean, it's a it's a great golf course, but. And we go out there, and I didn't know anything about the course, and it had nothing to do. And and I stand on the first tee, and I'm like, and we're with a member. I said, "Who designed this golf course?" I said, "It's in a Donald Ross, is it?" And he said, "Yeah." First off, and I, and it and turns out, if you ever get over there, it's uh-huh. one of my favorite golf courses I ever played. Snuck up on me like nobody's business. Huh. And I just I just find it. I love I love Alistair McKenzie. I don't get to play enough. Of his, he's Northeast, and a lot of other play. You know, I yeah. never played Augusta. Uh, I think he did um, Cypress Point. He absolutely did. Um, so I, I mean, I those guys to me have. I love the old architecture. I'm, you know, we can get into the newer uh, yeah. age, but Donald Ross to me is my favorite. If I said if I could find a, a Donald Ross golf course that I could take care of for the rest of my career, yeah, yeah. that'd probably be you just sign yeah. me up. I'd sign be you up. Yep, that's interesting. Yep. So like to me, after that great group of architects and those those five are arguably and i guess hs colt is also gets should get a lot of credit and james braid and all the yeah. the guys that designed the things over in the links land scotland england etc in ireland uh they're very good I mean, yeah. they, they deserve to be in that group too most people in america don't know them but, but yes but then we went through what i call the tour player version of design which was weiskopf nicholas you know watson player palmer and <clears throat> I think Jack Nicholas's first three golf courses were spectacular, and then it weaned away from spectacular. Weisskopf actually makes decent golf courses, but I don't. I've never been a big fan of Arnold Palmer courses. <clears throat> I think my least favorite is a tie between Greg Norman and Gary Player. I don't like their ideas on design at all. <clears throat> so then we went from there. Oh, oh, this is a person I want to get your take on. I think Pete Dye is a has a very unique place in golf history because mm-hmm. he designs deviously anguishing mathematical and visual challenging golf yep. courses, probably more so than anybody's ever done. To maybe to the point where that's why people love him or hate him so much, which is probably a great thing for him. Um, yeah, there's no gray in Pete in no. Pete Dye work. I mean, he's it, you're right. It's love or hate. So in the in the in the in the interim between. Mackenzie Tillinghast Ross, uh, Rainer McDonald Colt Braid, and the new Cor- you know Cor Crenshaw Doke 
Hans, David McClay Kid. Yeah. New versions of inst- there's only, in my opinion, the tour players, Fazio and Die. What talk to us a little bit about the 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 differences between who I, a person who I think designs golf courses that I can tell is he designed them from the second I get on the property, which is Fazio, uh, to Pete Dye, which is diabolical and yeah. borders on golf evil. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I having the pleasure of uh, taking care of and man, maintaining a Fazio course, I have a, a great appreciation for his work. Um, got to work some closely with him and his team on some early stages of redevelopment and redesign at the golf club. And, um, you know, I, I'm still great friends with Jeff, and so I get to see some of the changes and different things that they do out there. And, and I'll say this, he's probably in the modern age my, one of my favorite Is that right? architects. I mean, there's I just, just because I have a little bit of an experience and, and relationship with that. I mean, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I – I think he does great work, but I'm like you. You can kind of you know you recognize his golf courses, yeah. and and that's what architects do. They they have a they have a system, they have a formula, and they, they what works for them, and they try to replicate it. Yeah. And and you know, and that's what makes them good. I mean, why why would you vary from that? I mean, um, I think that's where Nicholas got a little sideways. Absolutely, is his you know his 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 toy or his you know sort of. Uh, the the his best of best is Mirfield. I mean, he just tinkers with it, and it's what it is. Yeah, that's his canvas. Yeah, and and but you know when he got to be where he was trying to do too much and and everything, I think I think that's what turned me off a lot on some of his golf courses. Well, I love Spring Creek Ranch, but you know I'm not a fan of Richland. Yeah, um, you know, and that's no shot on them. There's yeah. just there's just there's just certain parts about Nicholas that I just can't. I can't wrap my head around as far as enjoying. But yeah. I, they're great golf courses. Don't get me wrong, but. It's just uh, not a preference of mine, and I'm not a I'm not a big fan of the tour player design. Yeah, there's not one that stands out to me that I'm just like super excited about, or that I can even think about um, that really even comes to mind, which speaks for yeah, itself, I guess. Right. But but uh, Pete Dye, um, he's de- definitely another architect that you when you step on the golf course of Pete Dye, you know right off the bat this <laughs> is. This is a different animal. Yeah. He's he's constantly doing things to you to to, you know, mess with you. Uh, you know, create different angles and shots and have you thinking off the tee and every shot. And and if you miss a shot and get in a spot, you're penalized for it. Yeah. And that's just what he does. I mean, sawgrass is a perfect example of that. I mean, we talk. I mean, we could talk as much about sawgrass and what it does to the golfer as Augusta does. No question. You know, there's no doubt about it. And it's just two completely different golf courses and philosophies. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you say that. So, like, to me, I got a chance to play a couple of Nicholas's early designs, Shoal Creek. Yeah, that's uh, a good one. Oh, man, is that awesome. And Cabo del Sol uh, down in Cabo San Lucas. Yeah. Unbelievably awesome golf yeah. course. And uh, Harbor Town, awesome. Yeah. But those are all early. Yeah. Later, it got to be... It almost looked like a going through the motions type design, where he just kind of cookie cuttered it. If if out there. if I had to guess, early on he he had more of an input. Yeah. As it got more, as he got more and more busy, and he it brought in other people, and he was having to do a lot. He got away from it a little yeah, he, bit. He started to delegate. Yeah. 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 True. And then Pete Dye played Teeth of the Dog, which was unbelievably good, and. I, 
I found like that was awesome Pete Dye. Yeah. And the honors course prior to the move to Bermuda grass was one of the greatest tests of golf from tee box to green I've ever played. It was one of my favorite. But when they didn't redo the green structures and just slapped Bermuda grass on it, yeah, it went from what I thought was the right up there with Augusta National in hardest, fairest golf course yeah. to literally a golf course that I'm not good enough to play anymore. I was, I, I, but <laughs> the last two times I played there, I shot 79 and holed out my bunker shot for birdie on yeah. 18. We got in the car and drove to Lookout Mountain, which is a golf course I really love, and shot 69 right. with slightly less quality ball striking. Yeah. The next time I go there, I shoot 81 and literally hit it awesome. Yeah. But I can't, like my brain, that's probably why I ended up teaching, my brain can't comprehend hitting five iron yeah. flush into the green Put, give my club to the caddy, walk up, and my ball is not on the green <laughs> and nowhere near the green. Yeah. And I'm left with a pitch shot that I'm not even qualified to hit as a plus two. And I'm just like, and I'm, I'm sensing that they're going to have to adjust because I hear a lot of grumbling because you can't, it's hard to enjoy yourself there now. Right. I mean, you got people that are, you know, business people flying in from all over the country, bringing friends that are like 17 handicaps, and they've literally lost 15 balls by the time they got to the to the back nine. Is it because the greens are so hard? Oh my god! Or is it so hard? Well, that, that'll. I, I don't know how long it's been since they converted, but I think that's it's four or five. That 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 eases up over time, and it should it should. If it hasn't by now, then then something else is going on. But typically, that that conversion does. There is a little bit of a period where it's rock hard rock hard and then it once yeah. you get that mat and that thatch developed and you get a you get a couple of years of verification and stuff on behind you it, mm-hmm. it softens up yeah that's it's yeah, true i don't know if you've listened to my podcast where i did with you know david stone oh yeah did you listen did you go back i'm, he told, I'm definitely gonna listen he to told the sure. story he told mm-hmm. the story and and you'll have to go back and listen to it. i don't i <clears throat> but he says the greatest round of golf he's ever seen in his life was tiger woods there in the, I think it's the NCAA. Yeah. And he, he said he shot 80-something one day because the – 81 the last yeah, day. And, it, and he won by three shots. Yeah. It, but the but the greatest round was the round – I think he – I forget what he shot. It was something Six, like 60-something. It was 63. Yeah. And and uh, he said – and the <clears throat> and the conditions were ridiculous. And he, he says it's the greatest round of golf I've ever seen in my life. And, and, and – um, the story he told, I mean, it was just fascinating to me, and and the and not that we don't talk enough about his his ability, but you have to go back and listen to it because on that golf course, and David Stone knows that knows that course like nobody else ever. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, he he told a story about seeing. I mean, of all the rounds of golf that guy's played and seen, that was the greatest round of golf, and he and he actually. Um, Goes on to say he picked Tiger up and they were riding around and it, so it's a pretty cool little little uh, adventure into that. it. So yeah, he's a legend, man. Yeah. What a super nice guy too. Yeah. Oh, had a black. I could have talked. We were um, at a the Knoxville um, turf grass up in UT Knoxville. We were doing a turf grass uh, their field day, and he sat down. I, I was set up there, and he sat down. I was like, man, we got to do this again because I could have talked to him for days days yeah. yeah he just a wealth of knowledge no and, and in our industry and he just loves to talk and he's chat sh- he's a sharer yeah, yeah no doubt as we head into the new guys you know hans doke 
Cor Crenshaw, David yep. McClay Kid. There's a couple others too. Rob Collins does a great job. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's starting. He's going to get on the map here pretty soon because his course in Nebraska. You got to help me get, get him on here because I've reached out to him a couple of times. Oh, well, I'll definitely do that. <laughs> he's he's a he's another guy. Yeah. Really, but you can tell that somewhere between minimalism and yeah. using what you have there instead of force feeding something. Yeah. that went on with the tour players and that not just the tour players, but that that era of time was a lot of bulldozing and earth moving to yeah. make something and they are really more apt to do what Mackenzie and Ross did which is just kind of deal with what you got yeah of those of those guys whose work do you admire the most that's a good question I you know secretly I'm a I have this passion to want to design a golf course so and build I. it and and I hope that I get to do it I don't care if it's a little nine-hole golf course that I buy some land and do myself mm-hmm. and whatever down the road, I, I, I secretly want to do that or be a part of it. So with that in mind, I, I just appreciate a lot. I know when I walk on someplace that's special, regardless of the architecture, but I mean, I don't have, I don't, I just don't get to play enough golf this, these days. I know that Bill Bergen around here is pretty big. Yeah. You know, his, uh, when I went up to the uh, Macklemore, I was just blown away by just what little I saw. I didn't get to play yeah. it, but um, so, uh, Gil Hans, I mean, I, I, the only, the only example that I've been on his, as I, is Swanee where uh-huh. he did that. And that was spectacular. Magnificent, beautiful. Yeah. Um, haven't seen a core Crenshaw, um, but I would love to, I mean, he's, uh, you know, uh, around here, I mean, I think Reese Jones redid, uh, Bell Mead, Bell Mead which, you know, uh, yeah, like him or hate it, you know, yeah. he just, you know, that. We can leave it at that. Yeah, but because <laughs> uh, I love Bill Mead, but uh, yeah. you know, but at the same time, I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. I, I'd probably ponder a little bit more about it. Uh, yeah, I just you you play a lot more golf than me nowadays, and yeah. I'm I'm more looking at from a maintenance standpoint. I I'm trying to think. I went up to the, some of the courses that I've played that I that stand out, like Victoria National. I think is a Tom Fazio. Yeah, um, that I've played. Uh, that's a hard son of a gun right yeah, there, baby. Yeah, man, I love it. It's a it's a very hard golf course. I'm just not used to playing off bent grass. Yeah. So, uh, Old Stone. Um, that's another not a, not a, I'm not, I think that's Arthur Hills. That's Arthur Hills. Yeah, which is the same as West Haven over here. Yeah, that's right. Um, a little sadistic. Yeah. The green complexes are Insane. ridiculous. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't know, man. Uh, that's a good question. I, I, uh, I have an appreciation for architecture in ways that most people and superintendents don't. Uh-huh. And, you know, I'm, I'm personal friends with Gary Roger Baird, who did a lot of golf yeah. courses around here. He uh, did the Hermitage, right? He did the, the Hermitage. Retreat. He did a lot. He did Brentwood Country Club's redo. Oh, that's right. Um, he did, uh, he, let's see, he's probably done, he did, he did Franklin Bridge. Yeah. Uh, which is, which was Forest Crossing yeah. before that. Um, yeah, he did both. He did. A, I don't think he did both courses at the Hermitage. He did it no, because Dennis Griffith did yeah, the second. He did the original at Hermitage. So I, I mean, he's done quite a few around here. Um, did Indian Hills mm-hmm. out in Murfreesboro. So, oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, um, and and it was funny. Uh, my story about wanting to be in architecture was when he was in. We were we went to Sunday school class together. I would go visit with my dad, and my dad introduced me to Gary Baird, and I said I want to be an architect, and he said, Well, go learn how to uh, take care of golf courses first, and then. And then we'll uh, we'll see where you're at. Then that yeah. was when they were building them left and right left too, and right, yeah. you know. And uh, I ended up uh, doing taking care of them. But uh, I still have a. I mean, if you find somebody who wants to build a golf course, we'll we'll try to. I just I just want to design something. A yeah, part of that. It. That me too. Yeah. Like I don't know enough about 
like what happens underneath the soil. Yeah. But I know what makes a good golf course a great golf course. Yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated by that. You know, if, if you're wanting to get a, an experience, a canvas of it, Bandon Dunes is the greatest place I've ever been for a golf experience. I've been to Ireland and I've been to to England and I've been to Pebble and Spy and you know and Spyglass and Cypress Point and yeah. I've been to Augusta and I've played I've played pretty much minus Pinehurst. Yeah. And and like the Shinnecock National Golf Links, that area up in Long Island, I've played pretty much everywhere. Bandon Dunes is unbelievably awesome. Right. And they got them all. So they got like David McClay Kid did Bandon, Doak did Pacific Dunes, Cor Crenshaw did Bandon Trails. Yeah. Hans did Old McDonald, which was a, uh, a um, an ode to CB McDonald. Got you. Uh, and he did it off of his eighteen hole routing plan that never changed, so right. to speak. So I play, the first thing I do is I play Bandon Dunes, and I thought that David McClade kid did an unbelievable job of making an, a, a dunesy, linksy style golf course as wonderfully playable for every talent level that I have ever seen. And that includes Bally Bunyan, yeah. which I think is one of the five best golf courses in the world. It was unbelievable. And I played it in terrible conditions, like terrible conditions. 40-mile-per-hour winds, probably 52 degrees. Yeah. And I played out of my mind that week, too. So the second day, we played Pacific Dunes, which is Tom Doak. Noticeably harder approach shots. Wind still blowing, not quite as hard, maybe 25 miles per hour. But a much more stern test. Yeah. Third day, we played Bandon Trails. And Core Crenshaw was absolutely so magnificent there. So I'm standing on the 13th green, and I'm thinking to myself, this might be the greatest golf course in the world. I've never played anything so magically fun and cool. And in my opinion, the last four holes there were terrible, and it left a bad taste in my mouth. I know they've redone it. Right. They've redone some things. But man, sixteen, seven, like sixteen is like the, what I call the stairway to heaven. It is the most uphill par five I have ever seen. Huh. I mean, it is like you are—you could literally shake God's hand when you get to the top of the green. Yeah. And then you go to the next hole, and the par three is straight down that hill. Yeah. With a green that slopes away from you. Couldn't keep the ball in the green. Landed on the front. The guy who made birdie yeah. hit it fat. And it bounced, ding, 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 and it went right in between the two bunkers. <laughs> and it bounced onto the green to like eight feet. And yeah. I'm like, did I just see that? Did I just land my ball in the front and rolled off into the back bunker? And yeah. he hit it fat and bounced it on. Hmm. And an 18 had this gigantic razor back in the middle of the fairway where the fairway split off hard right and hard left. Yeah. And it, all tee shots went into the fairway bunkers. Like you couldn't keep it in the fairway. Now, I think they've, I think they've flattened that out. And then I played Old McDonald in day four, and I played that in the worst conditions any human could play. And I asked people, I asked them, what was that like? I said, it looked like a pair of foot joys because that's all I saw were my feet <laughs> as I was walking. But I thought, I really thought that Doak, Doak does a, he's like the blend of Donald Ross and Alistair McKenzie. Yep. And I thought that McClay Kid was the best at making it visually stimulating, but on the ground you could, you know, Betty Lou and Uncle Bob could ground ball five woods, right. and they're they're sloped so perfectly that you can move around bunkers and bounce it onto the green. Yeah, kind of St Andrews ish. Yeah, in style, but that's a great place to go to see the new 
versions yeah. of the great architects. And now with the Sheep Ranch opening, and that's, I think that's a combination of Urbina and, and Hans. God, uh, how many golf courses have they got they out got there? They got five plus the par three course, which is Jesus. only 13 holes. It's a bizarre 13-hole routing of the yeah. par three course and then that gigantic punch bowl putting green. But, I mean, that's a great place because your cell phone doesn't work because you're literally you're closer to Egypt than you are anywhere. I mean, it is out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But it's really – I want to get out so, there. I have so great. I have, so I have, I've got so many places I want to go. It's ridiculous. And I'm, I, I may have told you this off air, but, I mean, it's just like – Trying to find the time to do it before I can't play anymore. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's just getting to that point where I'm running out of time where I'm, I would enjoy it. Like yeah. right now, I can still play and have fun and enjoy it. Yeah, and even if I even if I shot in the 80s or whatever, I'd be fine. Or because you still hit enough good shots. Yeah, I just you hit enough like good shots. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I'm not gonna. I'm, I I couldn't go out and I mean, unless I was practicing and playing 100 percent of the time, would I feel like my game would be where I'd have high expectations? You know, yeah. I'm just gonna go out and have fun, but. I'm just running out of, you know, one, it, it's, you know, it's a time away because you wouldn't want to go out there for just a few days. You're not, yeah. it takes you a few days to get there. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I mean, I want to do that. I want to go over to England and Scotland, Ireland and play those golf courses. And, you know, there's so many just around here that I want to do. And, and, uh, but Bandon Dudes is outside of Ireland and Scotland, uh, probably is one B yeah. <laughs> in terms of golf trips that I want to do. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I try to talk to people all the time about this too. Ireland, Ireland golf really, really, really taxes your tee ball. Yeah. Scottish golf really, really taxes your approach shots. And I think it's interesting, like, Donald Ross taxes your approach shots so much. Oh, Alistair, McKen- Alistair McKenzie does a, a good job of both, but I think he's more noted for his visual interference off the tee yeah. as he is around the green. Now, he's yeah. more balanced. Tillinghast is more off the tee yeah. challenge. So I thought that Royal County Down was the hardest golf course I've ever played in benign conditions, and I can't even fathom how challenging it would be in really difficult conditions. Yeah, it was. It's beautiful. I mean, it is so hard. Every shot is under the microscope. Yeah. Um, Bally Bunyan is phenomenal and a very fair golf course to play. Right. And then the European Club is phenomenal, and you know, there's so many great golf courses over there. I didn't play Portrush yet, but I want to play that really bad. Scott, Scottish courses generally tax the approach more. The bunkering around the greens and how everything is sloping yeah. to that make it, uh, make it a little more challenging in your approach and not so challenging off the tee. If you were designing a golf course, would you want to tax – tax the approach or the tee shot more what's your style well i think because i think that you got to get the ball in the hole it's 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 the approach more so than the tee shot i think i want to i want to challenge i want to create shots where it gives you multiple options yeah. so i love playing golf courses where i can iron it off the tee and still have a a, a, a place to score or, or do it and that and that's not as bad and but also give somebody an opportunity to take driver and and risk reward it so yeah. That to me is where I would be on the tee shot, but definitely um, more more importance on hitting the ball into the greens and and being able to score. And then if you if you're in the wrong spot, you've got you've got some work to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's just to me is a, a more fun way to do it. Uh, I don't I, I like smallish type green you know greens. I think that 
because if you hit the greens, you ought to be able to try to you know make, make, make birdie. birdie. Sometimes you hit greens, especially golf courses that have just these massive greens. I mean, you might as well not even be on the green. I mean, you just don't have no chance yeah. of making it. You know, and I mean, obviously you're putting, and that's probably better than a wedge in your hand or something. But I find that to be a southern thing. It the is. golf courses in the south are much bigger greened. Like you go, you play down here long enough. You play, you play President's Reserve and General's Retreat and yeah. Gaylord, and you're like, God, I hit 16 greens in regulation and yeah. had no birdie putts, really. Yeah. And then you go like play Wingfoot, and it's like one third of a golf of a green at Hermitage. Yeah. When I went, when I walked out on Marion, I went to the, I think it was the, was it the U.S. Open or the PGA? It was so it was U.S. Open with yeah. Justin Rose won. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was, I was blown away by the size of those greens. I was just like. <laughs> These greens are half the size of every green that I've got. Yeah. You know, and then I, I, you're right. I mean, it's just uh, I, a lot of it has to do with play, increased amounts of play. You have bigger greens because you have more play yeah. and and or it's a resort type golf course or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, for whatever reason, we decided to, you know, have three acres of greens on your golf course. That's just crazy. Yeah. And like so that's, that leads me to the, this question, which is, is it mostly because of the the temperature and the course conditions that the south generally has bigger greens than the north or is it just because a lot of the courses in the northeast were designed a long time ago and there was no real ideas on on size of greens and stuff like that i would say probably the latter i mean um you know i don't know what goes in the mindset of an architect when it comes to the size of the greens i think there's a style and what they're trying to accomplish and then you've also got what the golf course lends itself to and and uh there's a happy medium in there somewhere um you know if again we the hypothetical if you and i were to build a golf course i i mean we had three and a half acres of greens at brentwood that's just a massive amount for a golf course that plays on average 6400 yards i mean you just you can't admit not you the greens were what made it challenging because you you might be on the green, but you have a forty footer or yeah. something, you know. So um, I think there's some there's some there's some leeway there in terms of where you should be, but uh, it's all about how you set that shot up and and how do you do you want to be able to run the ball in par fives maybe a little bit bigger, mm. but but if it's a three shot a true three shotter maybe it's a little smaller. Yeah, you know it's just all in how you're trying to set the shot up to you know come into the green and I I don't know I, I have I have. I have a sense that I would probably be somewhere in in the smallish range, four thousand, five thousand square feet max, yeah. as opposed to six or eight thousand. You know, mm-hmm. these massive amounts of green, you know, square footage. Yeah, because like, for people out there that have never played Pebble Beach, holes eight, nine, ten, and seventeen. Yeah, my goodness, hitting long irons, and like when you're playing hole eight, that green looks like it's about the size of a quarter. Now I have got to play that that golf course, and I will tell you that shot is one of the most intimidating oh. shots I've ever been in my life. Yeah, I, I've only played it once. I yeah. played it right before the U.S. Amateur in 1999, yeah. and I hit the greatest iron shot I think of my life there. And I hit it, and it was kind of into like a 15 mile per hour wind. Yeah, and the entire shot, I'm like, oh god, please get there, and I hit it to like 12 feet. Yeah. But like that's the thing about Pebble Beach. I didn't hit many greens there, but every time I did hit a green, I had a good I had a good putt at birdie. Yeah. And it makes a good point. Is that it almost tells you the real truth about your ball striking. Right. And but it is really challenging to hit those little dimes with 
four and five iron, especially when you're playing ten with a ball for a left-handed golfer, the ball's above your feet. For a right-handed golfer, the ball's below your feet and off a downhill lie. Yeah. Man, that's a scary shot, man. That is a scary shot on nine and ten. Those, yeah. As you're coming along the coast, and those, both of those greens kind of kick over there to the right up against the edge of the of the cliff. Yep. Whew. It's a it's a fabulous stretch of holes that I will never forget. And I played it in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. I think it was a right it was a year before Tom, Tom Kite, Kite. Yeah. Yeah. Ninety one. Yeah. So you played it in ninety one because I was ninety two. Yeah, yeah. So I was still playing high school golf. I was playing actually really pretty well. Uh-huh. I think I shot eighty two and we played from the back. Uh-huh. And you know, of course it's changed as in. Number five was the old number five, then you know, before Nicholas yeah. redesigned it and all that. And so but I still remember Everything about it, um, the greens were small. They were, you know, they rolled great. But, mm-hmm. you know, it was just one of those from 6 to 10, 11-ish, I'd, I'd soaked in every bit of that golf yeah. course. And, and and the funny part about number 8 was is you look – and I'm trying to describe this for people that have never played it, but there's a house in the distance that yeah. they tell you to kind of aim at the, the peak of the house or whatever. Well, I hit – a, what I thought was a perfect drive, right? And the caddy, it just never left where he told me to hit it. It went off into the damn canyon. Yeah. yeah. So I, I had to drop up there, and I'm staring at that shot over. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking, well, I thought I hit a great shot, but apparently it was just it was just a little off. So, huh. But, I mean, you know, it was just one of those things I remember and, and hitting that shot over there. And I think I made double or something, but whatever, I was fine. I'm, yeah. You know, and the 9, 10 were just a, a blast, but I I loved everything about it. Playing eighteen, I think it took me about forty five minutes to play Play-18, that hole because I just yeah. I didn't want to get off of it. Yeah. But I made I made birdie and I hit it I hit it just like I wanted to. I, I hit it on the front of the green in the second shot. Mm-hmm. So that's you know, awesome. Yeah, I was like I'm not coming to this golf course and not going for this green if I've hit a drive this good. You yeah. Know? The only thing that I can relate, <clears throat> excuse me, the only thing that I can relate Pebble Beach to in Augusta National. It's kind of funny. As you're walking. Now, because I didn't play it with the old five, when you walk yeah. off the fifth tee and you're about 40 yards off the tee and you look out, whether you go past the trees where the tee is, and you look out and you start to see how that the sixth green looks like it's hanging off the oh. edge of the world. Yeah, It's like walking into the gates of Augusta National. You're walking in and you're like, you don't know when you're going to start to see the <laughs> golf course because it's a long walk. Yeah. And you're like, where's it at? Where's it at? Where's it at? Where? And then, like, it opens up, and you're like, wow. Like, that stretch, like you said, of 6 to 11 is as good as anywhere in the world, period, end of sentence. Yeah. And it starts when you walk on the – like, as you walk off the fifth tee, were, were you the like, anticipation was like, wow. This were is you crazy. like me when I – like, all I had pictured of Pebble Beach was this, every hole was on the ocean, and everything was like that. Yeah. And when I started, I was like, we got to the first tee. I'm like, there's condos right here. What the hell's going on here? Yeah. I'm like – this ain't Pebble, yeah. and I and I was just kind of this is and then when it like you said it was kind of like here you go boys welcome to what you want to play and, and you know and I that was me and and I I guess I was naive in the whole thing about how it was you know sort of started out and set up because you never really back then they weren't showing all the golf courses yeah. when you were watching them on TV and so you just got to see all the big you know the the famous holes and, yeah and I but it, you're right it just I was once I got to six I was. It was it was pretty special. Yeah, I, I think like when I played it, it was on my honeymoon. Actually, it's kind of funny. <laughs> so my wife was a two-time national champion in Brazil, great player. She, you know, super player at Mississippi State, and uh, 
It's funny. So we're, we're very competitive, especially at that time because she was still playing yeah. a lot. She was like, hey, let's just, uh, for the sake of the honeymoon, can we just go out and have fun and just not compete and just enjoy the walk, <laughs> right? So, sure. So my wife goes, birdie, 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 par, par, birdie. Hits the flag on six. No, I'm sorry, birdie six and almost makes hole in one on seven. Yeah. So we're f- she's four under standing on the eighth tee. And there's almost, if you've ever been there, there's almost always a long wait on hole eight. Yep. A long wait. She's like, huh. And I'm four over, she's four under, right? So, huh, I'm up eight. Oh, no, she didn't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I thought we weren't, I thought we weren't playing. Yeah. That's what we're not playing, but we're always playing. I mean, we're just playing, <laughs> right? So she, she doesn't fare well eight, nine, ten. Those are really long holes and yeah. taxed text her game and she goes from eight up to on the 11th tee it's all square yeah so i'm not afraid to talk a little smack i'm like huh all tied <laughs> she didn't have a word to say to me it was a long walk home <laughs> yeah and uh I, and i birdied 18 as well to beat her by one yeah not much, not much exciting things happened after that yeah. on that day, yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was funny. Yeah. Uh, but it's, uh, I still think Cypress Point's the best golf course I've ever played. But Pebble Beach, I, when I try to think back to Pebble Beach, is not very far behind yeah. the elite tracks in the world. But it does, when you go there, it does lose a shade of luster because you you think about six through eleven, seventeen, and eighteen. But there are some fairly mundane holes early and in yeah. the middle. Yeah. You know, and you're like, oh, wow. And, of course, I think the golf course really is benefited by about 15 miles per hour of wind. Yeah. It's not a real – It's not, obviously, it's a great golf course with no wind. But, I mean, it doesn't really – the harder the wind blows, right. the more you see the cool nuances of, of that golf course for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's a – you know, it looks like it's built. I mean, it looks like – I mean, I, it, it looks like it's – that that property was made for that golf course. Yeah. They did it. There's no other way that thing was ever going to shape out. And I think it was cool. I, I don't know the whole story, but I think that that golf course was built for like sixty thousand dollars. Wow. Originally, yeah. yeah some it it may have been less than that, but I mean, it just they it, to to put it in those terms. And when that was built, it was probably like they didn't do a whole lot to it other than just put some greens and tees yeah. out there and go play golf. Yeah, what a you know those days are well I guess not dog, gone because Bandon Dunes is doing it right on the coastline too. There aren't much coastlines mm-hmm. left, but can you imagine what it was like in those days at that time where Pebble and Cypress Point and all those great golf courses right there along the Monterey Peninsula were built? They're so majestic and just like huh. knowing like that they were able to put golf courses on it before they were able to put houses on it. Yeah, those days are long gone. No, nope. but uh, I think that it's so. It's a magical place. Yep. Seventeen mile drive is something special. I gotta get to. I gotta get to Cypress Point. Um, never. I played Spyglass, Spanish Bay, and Pebble when I was out there. I think that was the three that we played. What did you think of Spanish Bay? I, I liked it. Yeah. I thought it was fun. It was. Yeah. It was completely different than uh, than all you know Spyglass and Pebble. But uh, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I thought it was a fun course, and I don't. Mm. I mean. I don't remember a ton about it, to be honest with you, if that tells you anything. But yeah. it just was fun to play, and huh, okay. I didn't, I didn't, I don't have anything opinions one way or another, huh. other than I, you know, it. enjoyed it. Yeah. Have you studied much on St. Andrews, like the the design and the 
the ideas behind the design of it? No, but it's probably <laughs> for for a golf course I've never played. It's probably my favorite golf course. Really? I mean, it just I think I think about that golf course a lot and in, in, in getting to play it and having talked to people that have played it that uh, just the way it, it it's one of those courses that um, you just it, everything about it seems to challenge you in different ways and it's not overly long it's got massive greens um, it's just one of those things that you can play along along the ground but I mean it's the way most Scottish golf courses yeah. are but um, but it just it just stands up to the test of time and, yeah. and it's always rock solid and you know it's it is what it is and and, and I've never played it I hope to play it someday but I, I get super excited when the opens there. Yeah, me too. I, I always get... I, w- I said that I thought that Tiger would win every time he played there, just because one I thought he had the game best suited. I mean, he's won there what two or three times, yeah. but uh, I mean, for Daly to win there and and you know those type of golfers that can have massive short games and beat it down, yeah. you know, it just it, that's what makes it kind of cool to me. But yeah, I mean, it's I uh, I can't wait till it comes back there. Yeah, I think the the one that shocked me the most was how bad he played the year that Lou Oosthuizen won it. Yeah, because like uh, you're, I'm with you. I'm like, God, this guy's never ever gonna lose when it comes to St. Yeah. Andrews. But I mean, that was at the be that was at the beginning of the end. Yeah, for for Tiger, uh, and then he had a, a, you know, I've always said like the the 2019 Masters victory was like not Tiger 2.0. That was like Tiger 9.0. Right. There's a lot of variations off of in my opinion, the greatest golfer in the world uh, of all time. And I know that we wanted to talk about that too. Uh, but I think that the the greatest golfer we've ever seen was the 2002 version of Tiger Woods. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Um, Tiger 2000 was phenomenal. It was the, probably the greatest year of golf. But his golf swing was a little across the line and a little shut, and it was still phenomenal. But, I mean, God, the 2000. Late 2001 and all of 2002 yep. was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And, it, and like to me, people ask me all the time, is Jack Nicholas better than Tiger? And that tweet that you sent me. I got about, it pulled up. Yeah, right so, so talk, talk to us about that, and let's, let's debate this a little bit. Because when I read this, I was – I have to be honest with you. I, it just brings into perspective. You can talk about how good Tiger Woods is, but it – I, and I don't know. I'll just dive into it. This is crazy. It says Jack um, was out of this, was not of this world in the majors. This is a tweet from Paul Hembo at Paul Hembo. Appreciate him. Um, it says most wins. Jack Nicklaus eighteen, Tiger Woods fifteen. We all kind of know that. But here's ones you don't know. Most top twos, most second place finishes. Jack Nicklaus thirty seven, Tiger Woods twenty two. <laughs> Go wrap your mind around that one. Top threes forty six, Jack Nicklaus. Tiger Woods, 26. <laughs> I guess that's including the top two. So he finished top two or three 46 times. Is that how I'm reading that? Yeah. Uh, top Most top five. Well, that's counting his wins, too. Yeah, it must be. It's must counting be. wins, yeah, too. must be. Uh, most top fives. Jack Nicklaus, 56. Tiger Woods, 33. These are in majors, folks. Yeah. In majors. Most top tens. Jack Nicklaus, 73. Sam Snead, 48. So Tiger's not even on that list. Yeah. You know, in that, that window from 1970 to 1980, yeah. he f- Jack finished in the top 10 in every one except one. Yeah. Hello. I mean, if you analyze. That's 39 of 40. If you. Four. Actually, it's an 11-year span. That's unbelievable. If you take the top two 
So he had 37 top twos. If that's including his 18 yeah, majors, that's right. he had 19 wins. seconds. He had 19 seconds, which means he could have won 37 he majors. Could've, he could have won 37 <laughs> majors. He was in position to win 37. I'd like to go. I'd, I'd actually like to know what relative to the score of the winner. So how far how far yeah, back he was yeah. in uh, in all those seconds. So like the, the obviously the argument is Tiger's playing in deeper fields and Jack Nicklaus played against a handful of greater players. Yeah. But but you want to you what would be fascinating is to to go to what the thir- like what's the next guy? Yeah. How far apart is the next person from these two? Oh, could you imagine I how mean, far it is? Top twos. Okay, this includes Tiger Woods and the two guys who won the most majors or Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods, they've had 37 and 22 top, you know, respectively. Yeah, top two. So, it, and that means that Tiger's finished second seven times, Yeah, if I'm reading that right. Yep. So, the next, I don't I don't have the list, I don't know the answer, but the next person, I bet's not double digits. Probably. Maybe well, Phil? Well, I don't know that. You got Ernie Els who finished second to Tiger, I think, seven times in majors. Well, it could be. It could be Arnie. I mean, there's somebody that's got yeah, who's Arnie, got, who's got Walter Hagen. Yeah, it's going to be somebody Jones. like that. But I mean, yeah, because not anybody. Yeah, Walter Hagen had eight, and I think Bobby Jones had ten. Yeah, but I mean, those were back when the amateurs were considered yeah. major championships. Um, so the the argument goes, Jack never played golf without one of all, one of the Hall of Famers, him going against at their peak. Yep, he started with Arnie. And Gary Player and Billy Casper. I think Billy Casper deserves a lot of credit because he was unbelievable. And then he it shifted to, you know, and there was other players, but I mean those are the big ones. And then it it went to Johnny Miller and Tom Watson and Weisskopf. Yep. And he at the end of his career faced Norman Seve, Kite, Nick Price. I mean a a boatload. Yeah. Of awesome players and Nick Faldo in that in that era. Yeah. So I, I tip my cap to that because there's certainly a lot to be said. Yeah. But here's the thing. If you if you stack up games, okay, driver of the golf ball, over the long period of career, Jack's a better driver of the golf ball than Tiger. But in from 2000 to 2003, Tiger was the greatest driver of the golf ball maybe ever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fairway would play. Mm, close. I'm going to give that to Jack. Long iron play. Two of the greatest long iron players of all time. I'm going to call that a half. Yeah. Here's where it just goes all Tiger. Middle iron play and short iron play. Tiger by infinite. Short game. Yeah. Tiger by a landslide. And then they're easily the two greatest putters in the history of the game. Nervous and can't hit their face with a glass of water. And you need to have somebody make a putt for you. (laughs) Those are the two guys that you'd be – there was a stretch that in Tiger's career, I don't think he missed any big putt. He didn't miss a putt that mattered until Y.E. Yang. That's 11 yeah. years of yeah. dominance. I mean, unbelievable. And the putts, I mean, think about this. There's so many events and shots that, that he hit under the massive gun that is so impressive. And I've, like, the putt that he made against Ernie Els in the President's Cup oh. in the dark. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to people that were there and said that you couldn't see anything. 
You could see and just drained it. Drained it. Yeah. He was, I mean, and I think I tell people all the time, I think he has, of the 10 greatest golf shots in the history of the game, he's got at least eight of them. Yeah. And he probably has the 10 worst golf shots, too. Like, it's pretty bizarre yeah. that he has the 10 greatest and the 10 worst. Yeah. You don't really think about that very often. But um, I think that nobody's ever played the game as good as Tiger. And I think that they're both great, legendary game managers. Yeah. I just think if Tiger, if we get to put up Jack Nicholas 74 or 75 and Tiger Woods 2000 to 2002, yeah, I think Tiger beats him. You know, we do this all the time in all kinds of sports. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm a Jordan fan and, and who's the greatest of all time and this and that. And it's, I'm the same way. I, golf is probably a little bit more, uh, less about your physical attributes, but I mean Tiger obviously has them. Yeah. And Jack, so would you put them head to head and say that best on best, who would win? I, I gotta, I gotta believe that Tiger was just that much better in 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 his best days. Yeah. But you know, like, but if you ask me if Jordan's backing down LeBron, <laughs> I'm telling you he's not. Yeah. He's. I mean, although I think Jordan's better. I mean, I, I'm probably more like Jordan, Kobe than LeBron. Than than uh, yeah. that's my top. But I mean. You know, so I don't know. I mean, I I would I would tend to agree with you. Uh, he's my favorite of all time, maybe because I grew up, you know, with him. I just wonder. I I'm curious to think to see what your thought is on. Do you think he gets past Jack? I no. mean, yeah. I mean, I don't. You said that pretty quickly. No, mainly because I don't. Do you think, think 2019 I, was his version of '86? Yes, and I'm not saying that he won't win another one. I cannot see him winning four more. Four more. I mean, that is. That's Phil Mickelson's career. Yeah. Does he have another Phil Mickelson career in him? Well, let's be honest. We're talking about Tiger here, but but I mean, you I got his back doesn't make it. Let's that's, let's that's just, I think let's just is. break this down. He's what? What is he? Forty four, forty five, two, forty two. I think. Sorry, Tiger. Um, but you know, so he's got he's got a good six years probably if his back holds up of good, really good golf. My understanding is that I teach the surgeon that was consulted with with Tiger's fusion. Yeah. And it is my understanding that they had a long conversation about the fact that Tiger Woods was the, the to this doctor who's known for his high end right. back fusions was the greatest physical specimen he's ever operated on. Like in unbelievable condition. Sure. And he said I would never I would almost tell you that I don't think anybody could play the kind of golf that you've played after this surgery. We we have some evidence. We don't believe that anybody could actually keep going more than five years from the day of the surgery until it goes out because he had L5-S1 fused, but his L4 is pretty compromised. And if you put the second fusion on top of that, yeah, done. no way he's done. All right, so what are you seeing now? So, like, literally what we saw last year, he played really good, at the, obviously won the Tour Championship, and then came out played okay, and then ha- almost won the match play. Yep. And then wins the Masters. And then he vanished. Yeah. And didn't make another cut. Played terribly. Broken. Like, when I saw him, he did the interview on Golf TV after he won the Masters. And he they introduced him. He walked out. He looked like what I would think 
Walter Payton looked like <laughs> after 36 carries and 204 yards. Yeah. He could, it was like, whoa, he is broken. Yeah. He didn't play well for seven months. And then he wins again in Japan. Like, it was yeah. like, who is this guy? And then he comes back after that. He did. He was the most dominant player at the President's Cup, period, in it, a sentence. That it, was it, I thought he was playing the best golf I've seen him play in a long, long time. time. Yeah, that was I mean, unbelievable. He was hitting. He didn't miss a shot. No, it was unbelievable. It, I tipped my cap. That was unbelievable. Yeah. And then would fall off the face of the earth again. Yeah. Where'd he go? And now, he, and I understand his back was really bothering his neck's bothering him. And once again, if you have back issues, if you got lower back problems, you also got neck problems because yeah. at both ends of the pole get affected. But I just don't see it. I just don't see that he can pull it together four more times with this health because he can't practice like he used to practice. Yeah. There are certain golf courses he doesn't drive it good enough anymore to compete and win a U.S. Open. That's just my feeling. I don't think that he yeah. can win a U.S. So Open. That opens out. Opens out. Now, I think he could definitely win at St. Andrews, and he could certainly win in certain golf courses in the Open Championship, especially like Turnberry. So you, so Augusta, he's got a chance yeah. every year. Every year that, he's, that he can play. Yeah. And if he goes back, I think the British Open, he can get most of those golf courses. Yeah. Not going to offer a whole lot to him. I mean, he he almost won that the one the prior that's you know, right when he was sort of on yeah, when, his way when back. Molinari won yeah when Mo- so Carnoustie. so if we think the opens too much of a challenge and then maybe maybe he gets on a pga turn you know championship course that so you're looking at he's probably got about 12 shots like 12 opportunities yeah of, of good solid you know and my, my my point would be this right now he he needs help from rory to beat rory it's my opinion yeah in my opinion, he needs help to beat Kepka. Like Kepka wins if he doesn't hit it in the water. And I think that he hit a good shot and got winded on that sure, hole. Sure. I think he needs a little bit of help to beat DJ. Although DJ's not the sharpest tool in there. Man, I, what's going on with him? I think he's injured and I think there's personal problems. That's just me. Yeah. Um but those three guys, their games and Justin Thomas too. I think Justin Thomas is very underrated because he gets he was injured last year and pl- yeah. tried to play through it and fell off the earth a little bit. I think those four guys are better than Tiger now, and Tiger needs a little bit of help from them, which is obviously happening because they're not Tiger. Yeah, you know, Rory has donated probably four majors to poor putting. Justin Thomas has probably donated at least one to not being ready for it. We could see Rory get on a Tiger-like run mm-hmm. and just win. I mean, he would start it. He he was there for a little bit and then kind of backed off. I mean, yeah. if he gets it together, and, I mean, he's the guy that I see with the game to do it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Kepka for a little bit, but, I mean, he's, I just don't know how passionate those guys are. I don't right. know. That's I don't. Right. I mean, it's, I mean, certainly think about McElroy's got two $220 million contracts with Nike and TaylorMade. Yeah. yeah. He got $440 million. Yeah. I would imagine that if you get off to a slow start at a okay, whatever. Eh, back it down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying that's what they do, but I can I've never f- could I can't fathom four hundred and forty million dollars yeah. knowing that it's yours. It's guaranteed you signed for it and you're getting yeah. it. How can you stay hungry? Because really what it comes down to, it's the hunger that separates the greatest from the almost great. Yeah. Like Tiger's hunger for history was more than Mickelson L's. Goosen, Singh, and Duvall. Those four guys gave Tiger the biggest fits in his prime. Yeah. And I would argue that Duvall, in his little window, 
gave Tiger the biggest fits. Mickelson over the longest haul gave Tiger the biggest fits. And Ernie Els probably doesn't get the credit he deserves for constantly being in the mix. But all of those guys were not yeah. as strong mentally in, the, in dealing with adversities of golf like Tiger was. And that's what separates him, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think they, those guys drew the short end of the stick when it, when they came up. I mean, I, I mean, I, 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 I think Phil's great. I think he's been great for the game, but he just got a raw deal. I yeah, mean, he was no, as good yeah. as anybody out there, but he just he couldn't get over the Tiger hump. Nope. And you know, and you got to you know, and on a one-on-one basis, like they did the you know the little t- made-for-TV deal. I mean, I didn't think Tiger had a chance against him because I think Phil just wants to beat him that bad and yeah. can mm-hmm. in a one-round situation. And well, what's Tiger going to get out of it? Yeah. You know, he's he's made his he's made a career out of beating Phil, and when it matters, yeah, that's right. You know, it's not the money. So it, it is an interesting story. Okay, so when Mickelson left Rick Smith to go to Butch Harmon, and Tiger fired Butch Harmon in that window. Um, Mickelson's record against Tiger was pretty poor, like 18-2-2 and or something like that. Butch told him all the things that his dad showed him, like what uh, the Green Berets and and the mental training that they have, the things that he does that you don't know he's doing that interferes with your concentration. Yeah. He divulged some of Tiger's secrets of what he does. And what, <laughs> what Tiger does, one of the things he does, one of the things I'm willing to share, because there's some things I'm not, because, sure. But some that I know. Tiger uses proximity to you, your personal space. He invades your personal space politely and kindly. But when, what most people don't realize, is that when somebody gets really close to you, you can feel it, yeah. and it interferes with your energy, so to speak. Yeah. Well, Tiger is the master of brushing right up against you over a really big tee shot, walking really, really close <laughs> to you over a big putt. Yeah. So Butch asked him to watch as they went over some video. Look what Tiger did to you here. He doesn't even, you don't even know it. You don't even know it. Yeah, because you're like, you're standing by the tee box. Yeah. And Stevie will put the bag right by Bones. And Tiger will just kind of, oh, just just barely sweater to sweater. Is this consciously that Tiger does that? Oh, but yeah. he, But nobody really. But nobody else knows it. No. And, and he just. He would interfere with what, he was interfere with your, with your body language. Yeah. He would interfere with you. So he said, anytime you get up over something and you sense that I'm what I'm telling you, back away. Yeah. Get away from him. Yeah. And Mickelson learned that. And ever since he started working with Butch, and he doesn't work with Butch anymore, but ever since that day, yeah. he has trounced Tigers. And by record, it's a pretty heavy whipping in favor of Phil because there are th- certain things that Tiger does that creates his aura. Yeah. And some of those things he sneaks in on you with by invading your personal space yeah well how cool is that that makes uh, i mean it makes a lot of sense especially for you know for his upbringing and some of the things that he was able to um be taught and trained by his dad and how to deal with uh individuals and how to deal with you know intimidation and things like that i mean that let's be honest that was part of what made him so great was was his mystique i mean it was it was like once he's it's over it's a wrap i mean when when he was in the field a lot of times it was over before it started yeah i mean he was winning at some incredible i mean 
It was at was 41% it like, at one point. Yeah. That I mean, that's stupid. I, almost every other time he tees it up, he's going to win. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, I think it's, I think actually his over his career, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of about 25% of his, of his yeah. starts. I you think know? it's 22 now. Yeah. So it's I mean, unbelievable it's, still. I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, he, he has, He's he's replicated so many careers it's mind blowing. Yeah. You know, and, and he's and he's still doing it. So I mean, you know, we could I'm sure we could talk for hours about how great he is and, and it bore people to death. But yeah. it's it's a fascinating thing. I'm glad I glad I get to see it. I'm just you know, I, I, I said this the other day. I, I'm his his son, if he keeps at it, may be pretty awesome. Yeah, that's gonna be interesting to see how that unravels because the only other thing that Charlie has against him yeah. is the constant comparison. Yeah. You know, I think Gary Nicholas is the only one of the Nicholas boys yep. that got to the tour, had a chance to win and got rained out and then ended up not winning. Yeah. Um, I think that it's easy to say that he's going to be great, and he looks great, looks awesome. Yeah. And he's beating Tiger legit in putting contest right now yeah. in quarantine, so to speak. But as an adult gets older and they start to find their place in history, yep. he everywhere he goes, it's not going to be about him first. It's going to be about his dad. Yeah, he's going to be answering questions about his dad. It's like what, what one of the things that made Mickelson's challenge is like he would be going to press conferences and not talk about himself. Yeah, he'd be going to answer questions about Tiger. What do you think about Tiger? What do you think about this? Well. You start having to listen to other narratives. It's not about you anymore, yeah. and that's what it like at the end of the day. The, what makes the tour players so interesting is how self-absorbed they have to be, right, to be an elite player. And if you're constantly having to live, relive your dad's accomplishments, there's something to be said for that. I think it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Now, obviously, he I mean, could overcome point. it. Maybe his dad will be in his. I'm certain his dad will be in this camp a lot. Yeah. Uh, but still, the difference is Earl had a vision. I don't think – I think it was Tiger's destiny, but Earl had a vision of how to cultivate it. Yeah. I'm absolutely positive that Tiger will know things that he can do to cultivate it, but Tiger didn't have to answer questions about his dad winning right. five ma- five masters. But if anybody can do it and overcome it and give him the advice and sort of put him in the position to handle it, it's got to be Tiger and his son. Oh, without a doubt, because right. nobody's – and one thing that Nicholas didn't have to do is he didn't have to deal with the social media and the and the 24-hour news cycle that Tiger's yeah. had to deal with. I mean, so, look at the publicity he's getting already right now. He saw that swing on social media. I was like, get the heck out of here. This kid's going to drum you, everybody. Yeah. You know? And and, the, and obviously the, the having the mental secrets that Tiger's got. Yeah. Um, and, like, if you – there's a great book out there. It's his, his Father's Son, yeah. which was written – by the only person Earl Woods trusted to tell the story, yeah, uh, Tom Callahan. That is a very, that's a page turner. There's been some books written about Tiger that you can't stop reading, right? Uh, and that's one of them. And how he was trained in a special ops fashion. Yeah, he's not trained normally. No, which is why he wasn't normal. Yeah, uh, he was trained heavily through hypnosis and hypnotherapy by Dr. Jay Brunza, who was at the time the military's top guy to help soldiers with PTSD and the aftermaths of war. Right. Okay. So you get that kind of training. And in the book, Raising the Bar, Tim Rosefort got a chance to see the power of Jay Brunza 
Tiger was struggling at the U.S. Open uh, with his putting, the one that he won by 1,000 shots, 2,000. Dr. J. Brunson just walks onto the putting green, and he used the code word, and Tiger went immediately into the trance. Yeah. And, they, and then they started working. And then we saw the greatest golf ever played. Oh, for, and, for, by a mile. That, and that was unbelievable. Awesome. And so to understand all of that and all the other trainings yep. that a special ops person is to cope with pain, yep. adversity, struggle, exhaustion, uh, interference. Yeah. Trained at a level that nobody's ever been trained at, which is why he was so far ahead of the game at the time. Yeah. Now, what what happened to McElroy, Spieth, Thomas, Kepka, DJ? They got a chance to learn yeah. by watching and emulate. But like you, you're, I, like my kids were asking me, like, do you think that Spieth or McElroy can be Tiger or better than Tiger? I said, well, not really, because McElroy and Spieth together combined is Tiger Woods. Right. You know, and so I don't, I don't like. There's a special gift that he had, but I'm, I'm of the opinion that I will be shocked if Charlie does, yeah, spectacular things because of the he'll always have to be reminded of that. But maybe not. I mean, that'd be an interesting story, but I just don't see it. Yeah. Well, man, how do you want to land this plane? Wrap this up. Well, you got I, anything else you want to talk about? We can always do part three. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I really wanted to to dive into the architecture piece yeah, because I'm passionate about the game. I'm passionate about architecture. I'm passionate yep. about equipment. And obviously being a golf teacher, I'm passionate about making people play better and swing sure. better and whatever. This has been an awesome, fun opportunity for me. I can't thank you enough for having me on uh, making the turn because yeah. we got a chance to discuss my world, but we also got a chance to discuss my passions in your world. Yeah, And I learned a lot today in this, and I can't thank you enough for having me on. I, I've, I've had the opportunity to, to, to talk about everything that I'd ever want to talk about when it comes to the things I'm, I don't know much about, which is sure. grass, architecture, and, and of the like. So I can't thank you enough for sharing your expertise on that. Um, I'm just grateful for the opportunity and for people that are interested in uh, golf lessons, uh, public speaking yep. off of either my book or golf itself. Yep. Uh, they can just contact me through my my website which is virgilherringgolf.com virgilherring.com uh my twitter handles at virgil torspin instagram virgil.herring and then obviously you can contact me on via phone 615-579-5190 and it's just been an awesome time with you and i thank you for sharing this uh platform with me well i appreciate you doing this man this is important that we share some content talk about some things that we're passionate about i learned some a lot of things about you we've we've created a a good little thing that uh, I think a lot of people are going to enjoy and listen to. And obviously my fans are a little different. And my, my, I, don't, I don't even know if I have fans. My, well, the I'm people sure, that man. listen to, that, to my podcast are different than yours, and they'll get a, a perspective on you and some of the things you're passionate about. And hopefully it'll cross over. Yeah, cross-pollination. It'll cross-pollination for you and I in our, in our worlds yeah. because uh, I, there, is a lot of, there is a lot there that you know, we, we can both speak about and, yeah. and have passions about on both sides of the fence from – your world of mine. And, uh, man, I'm just grateful that you sat down and chatted with me. And, uh, you know, we almost rang up two hours this morning. So, I, I mean, it's a lot of fun. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be here. One of the things I would definitely say is if you get the opportunity to have a nine-hole golf course, yeah, I'd love to be your consultant. Just like somebody to bounce ideas off of. Absolutely. Because, man, I love that stuff. I don't know, I don't know enough about anything when it comes to irrigation and et cetera. But, man, I have studied like crazy to understand what makes challenging golf challenging. Yep. 
and how they blend in with how to make fun golf fun. Yep. And they're very different. Well, here, I'm going to say this on the record. If you and I together can collectively put this together, we'll do it. Oh, yeah. I'm looking uh, forward to it. We just got to find the place. Got to find the place. To do and maybe somebody to help us with a little finances. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's and, a lot, uh, there's a lot of golf lessons for me to, yeah, to coach up. I hear you. <laughs> but, I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people that love golf, and there's a, there's a place and a time and a need for nine-hole facility that's, uh, you know, obviously we can – we didn't even speak about Sweden's Cove and some of the things like that, but yeah. um, you know that's that's where I think golf golf's headed that land, way. Land there and and be a place for people to go and have and enjoy, but also be a really cool test of golf and a fun experience. Yeah, well, I'm I'm looking forward to the future yeah. on that, buddy. Well, thank you so much for having me on, buddy. Well, man, Virgil, I appreciate it, and uh, best of luck and stay safe out there, man. We're in these weird times, and I do it. Yep. I don't got my mask on yet, but I'm I'm not I'm not there yet either. <laughs> so, we're we're social distancing right here. Uh, that's right. Well, uh, appreciate it, Virgil. Go check him out. He gave all his information. Uh, again, this is part two, so we've got a, a bunch uh, coming out. So I, I appreciate him sitting down with me, and and uh, we'll uh, we'll do this again. We'll do part three uh, down the road, maybe. I look forward to it, buddy. All Thank right, you so much. All right. Until next time, people, as uh, making the turn, I'm BJ Parker. Until next time, I'll talk to you soon.